Well, good morning. Because of the nature of this message this morning, we're not going to have anything on the screen behind me. So why don't you go ahead and take your Bibles and find 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you will. We're going to just kind of meander through a couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 8 in a few moments. But as we make our way there, let me try to see if I can't define our audience a little bit this morning just to see who I'm preaching to today, all right? Uh, Question. How many of you would consider yourself to be one of those persons that when you look at life, everything is yes or no, right or wrong, or as we may say, black and white? How many of you are kind of black and white people? Let me see your hands, all right? All right. Maybe a better question would be not to ask you if you think you're a black or white kind of person, but how many of you are married to somebody like that? That may be the best way to get at that question, right? I know. And I see moms pushing hands of children up and children pushing the hands of dads and moms up and so forth. How many of you have believed something very, very firmly, I mean very strongly, and you believed it for a long time and then... Later on, only to be convinced that you're wrong about that. Has that ever happened? We call that marriage, by the way. So don't fret over it a great deal, all right? Uh, How many of you are in between? You kind of fall into that in-between area that you recognize that not everything is always yes or no and that there is some wiggle room and you kind of see life as more gray than black or white or yes or no. Let me see your hands, all right? Well, it not quite half and half, but nevertheless, um, I understand this morning who I'm preaching to. I am 61 years old, and I was raised in a very small town in a very traditional community. Uh, my religious background is Southern Baptist with just a little bit of Independent Baptist mingled into that. And so when my very traditional culture and my religious or spiritual upbringing kind of came together in my life, I stepped into young adulthood realizing that I was one of those black and white, right or wrong, yes or no kind of people in the world today. I've been thinking about that, especially since five years ago when I stepped out of being a pastor of a local congregation I've been thinking and reflecting a great deal on those early years and how my worldview, my view of life was greatly shaped and how I kind of stepped into adulthood of, with that perspective of life. And as I've looked back on it and reflected, I realized that as a boy growing up, most of my world and most of my experiences were defined by what I could not do. Can any of you relate to that? I mean, my mother did not wash clothes on Sunday. We were not allowed to play sports on Sunday. Now, you kids are looking at me as though Abraham Lincoln was my classmate. It's not quite that far uh, back. But I mean, it was a very rigid and a very black and white culture in which I was raised. We could not go swimming on Sunday. Do any of you remember that? Or am I just talking above your head today? Fishing on Sunday? Heaven forbid. If you were to dare wet a hook on Sunday, our fear was the ground would open up and swallow you and you'd immediately go straight down to hell without any recourse whatsoever. Stores were not open on Sunday. You had to run into town and get a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk on Saturday night because there was absolutely nothing opened on Sunday. In many ways, life was very, very simple, very basic. The issues were not complicated. They were not complex at all. And those of you who are my age, and I gave my age away to you this morning, only because you probably thought I was a lot older than 61. And I just wanted to get that out on the table. But those of you who are my age, you really do remember what days were like. those days were like, don't you? I mean, Father really did know best, and we really did leave it to Beaver. And 
We kind of whistled our way through idyllic Mayberry, didn't we? I mean, everything had an answer, every issue that came our way. It was either sin or it was not sin. It was either right or it was wrong. It was yes or it was white. And life was not very complicated at all, was it? But I remember that when something would come along and try to invade that very well-defined culture in which I was raised... We kind of pushed back and there was great resistance. Do you remember when our culture thought Elvis and the Beatles were the personification of Satan himself? Do you remember that? I mean, the way Elvis danced on stage, God forbid that our teenagers and young folks would watch anything like that back then. And I mean, it was very straight-laced, very religious, right or wrong, black or white. What I'm trying to say, it was a very legalistic society, very legalistic culture that gave me my experiences in life. And as Christians, we fit into that. I mean, God forbid that a Christian would play cards or dance. And you know back then that Christians did not drink or chew, and we certainly didn't date girls that do. I mean, we stayed as far away from all of that as we possibly could, even the appearance of anything. Life was very uncomplicated. Every issue was either yes or no, right or wrong. But boy, our world has changed, hasn't it? We've seen some pretty significant shifts in our culture over the past few years. And when I say few years, I primarily mean over the past few years, haven't we? Does it seem like it's yes or no anymore, does it? Doesn't seem like it's quite as right or wrong or black or white as it used to be as we are seeing these unusual and unbelievable shifts in our culture and the way that the younger generation views life and all of these things that are coming our way. Now, we as Christians, we've got to avoid one of two extremes. I mean, mean, we, we cannot afford to go to this extreme nor can we afford to go to the other extreme as our culture around us is experiencing these cataclysmic shifts in perspective. The first culture is we cannot afford to push back and run away and hide and kind of get in our holy huddles and separate ourselves from our culture. I mean, I, and I know, listen, I'm a part of these conversations. We older dudes want to sit around and talk about how our world is suddenly going to hell in a handbasket. And here's what we need to do. We need to kind of push back. And the term we would use is segregate ourselves, kind of, um, kind of push back and become secluded and so forth and so on and not have anything to do with our culture whatsoever. But the reason I say we can't go there in our reaction is because Jesus will not let it happen. I don't know what you think our role is in the world today. And to be honest with you, it's not necessarily to get the right politician elected, folks. I mean, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not the one sitting in the seat of the White House that's bringing about all these cultural changes. These changes are coming from the bottom up. He is just simply reflecting and embracing the changes that are already there. And our role as a Christian is not to push back. Our role as a Christian remains the same as it has from day one uh, from the New Testament church. And it is that we are to be missionaries in our culture regardless of that culture. Whether that culture be a first century culture or a 21st century. Whether it be in a third world country or in progressive America, we are to be missionaries in our culture. Meaning what? Meaning that we are to represent Jesus in word and deed. Where we live, where we work, and where we play, that is our responsibility. Regardless of the culture, we are called to go into that culture and be a part of it to a large degree so that we can bear witness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to this culture in which we live. That's one extreme we must avoid. It is the big word is sectarianism. You know what that means? It means we section a group of chairs off and we push them apart from the rest of the chairs. That's what a lot of Christians want to do when we look at all of these changes in our cultures. We want to push back and become isolated and separated from our culture. Now there's another extreme we have to avoid. You know what it is, don't you? The big term is the word syncretism. 
sync, in sync. Not the boy band, but it is whenever we want to get in sync with our culture. and We just kind of want to get sucked in and go with the flow. And the uh, sad uh, product of that is that we're left with nothing being right or wrong any longer. That it is just simply determined by the situation. The old phrase was situational ethics. And we just let the moment, we let the situation determine whether this is right or whether this is wrong. And to be honest with you, what may be right for you may be wrong for someone else. So we just let the situation determine all of that. But I say to you again, we cannot just simply push back from that, nor can we get sucked into it. Because here's what Jesus said. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, I'm going to leave you in this world. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. We are to somehow figure out how we can negotiate life as a body of believers and as an individual Christian in the face and in the midst of all of these cultural changes that are coming. And oh boy, are they coming. I mean, it is my belief that we're just now beginning to see the floodgates open. And boy, are we seeing some changes. I mean, go, go resurrect your mother and father or your grandparents. And you tell them what's happening in our world today, in our Christian America today, and they would never believe you. They would never believe that we are redefining marriage in our culture. Marriage is no longer the commitment of a man and a woman in a committed relationship. Now, it is between two loving partners. Our culture is no longer religious. Did you know that? I mean, by far, the vast majority of people consider themselves spiritual and not religious. What is the difference? If you're spiritual, that simply means you can have a wonderful, vibrant relationship with God. And you can do it independent of an organized institutional church. We have seen since the early 1970s the dehumanization of personhood. We saw it 40 years ago in the abortion of the infants and the young. And folks, just hold on. Are you ready? We're going to see it at the other end of the spectrum also when it comes to euthanasia. Because if this uh, part of life over here is not beneficial to society, then what's going to happen when this part over here is no longer able to contribute to society? It's coming. Just get ready. It's coming. The legalization of marijuana. I mean, all of these things that are happening. And here we are trying to live for Jesus in the midst of those cultures. And it is as though yes and no is no longer a part of our vocabulary. Right or wrong, sin or being approved by God are no longer a part of our vocabulary. And so how do we make sense out of all of this? Before I go on with this message, can I just stop for just a moment? I just want to have a chat with you just for the next 30 seconds or so because I want you to hear me very, very clearly. That as a body of believers and as a committed follower of Jesus Christ, there are some areas, there are many areas out there which are absolutely non-negotiable. Did you know that? There are. I mean, God has spoken into some of these areas. And into those areas God has spoken. And let me tell you what. God did not leave it up for us to discuss. God's not asking your approval of it. God's not asking us to vote on it as a church or vote on it as a nation. Let me tell you what. God has spoken. And listen. Some of these things were wrong in the first century. They are wrong in the 21st century. They will forever be wrong. Like what? It is always wrong to lie. It is always wrong to steal, right? It is all, I cannot take your wife. You cannot take mine. It, it, it is always wrong to be sexually engaged outside of, and let me finish the sentence, a married relationship between a man and a woman. That will always be wrong. You said, no, wait a minute. New Testament doesn't speak to that. Yes, it does. When Jesus affirmed what Moses said about a marriage between a man and a woman, Jesus is affirming the traditional biblical perspective of marriage. And listen, anything outside of that, be it a homosexual relationship, be it a relationship of adultery or fornication, premarital sex, the scripture is very clear. And listen, you you can punt on that all you want, but you are going to be wrong and the scriptures are always going to be right. Why? Because God has spoken with authority and with 
with, a cl- with clarity in some areas of life. And they'll always be wrong. And they will always be right. You agree with that? So, so when I stand up and preach to you this morning, I'm not saying that it's a toss-up. I'm not saying that everything is thrown out the window, just tossed up in the air. And here we are as a 21st century body of believers and our feet are firmly planted in mid-air. And we don't know what to believe in. We don't know where we stand. And we, we don't have any idea because no one has ever really, really spoken into this subject. God has spoken. But as I've aged in life and as I have distanced myself more from that black and white worldview, and especially from my traditional community, I have grown to understand that there are more issues than I realized that fit in the in-between. You know what I mean? It's that area where God neither speaks against it, nor does God affirm it. So what do you do in those areas? How do we as Christians... Let our light shine. How do we bear witness of Christ? How do we as missionaries in this shifting culture, how do we represent Jesus in word and deed, where we live, where we work, and where we play, when it comes to those issues that fall in the in-between? Well, I'm glad you ask. And I'm glad you're here this morning. Because that's what I want to talk to you about. How do we bear witness for Christ in those in-between areas? You have your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Is that right? Let me read and I'll tell you what. We're going to read more today than we are going to explain Scripture. Okay? But I couldn't just pick a few verses out of this. We almost have to make our way through every bit of it. The church in Corinth, when we come to chapter 8, is dealing with one of these gray areas, one of these areas that fall in the in-between. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols. I just kind of hold that thought a moment because this is going to set the, the tone and the subject of where the apostle is going to go. Slip down to verse 4 and follow along as we read just a little bit. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, little g, and many lords, little l, yet for us there is one God and Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. I'm I'm glad Paul said this. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Verse 9. But take care of this right of yours. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, let's stop there and look up just a moment. Two words or phrases demand that we take just a moment and unpack it. What does Paul mean when he says in verse 9, but be careful or take care that this right of yours. What right is Paul talking about? You know what he's talking about? Our Christian freedom. He's talking about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross and we came in faith and we gave our life away to him, The Bible says we're free. Can you finish this verse? Those whom the Son has set free are free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Paul writes to the Colossians and primarily to the Galatians and the heart and heartbeat of what he's writing primarily that Galatian church is now that you have been set free be careful be careful that you do not allow someone to bring you back into bondage now question what is it Jesus has set us free from. Well, obviously, he has set us free from our sin. He has set us free from our past. But do you know something else? He has set us free from the bondage of legalism. He has set us free from the bondage of religion. That our lives are going to be defined by what we cannot do. 
that we're going to be defined by living in this narrow perspective view of life that every issue has a right and a wrong to it. And if you want to know the right and the wrong to it, just look to religion. And religion will tell you what's going on. And by the way, the reason that that was such an issue with Jesus is because he stepped into the most religious world that has ever existed. Do you remember who gave Jesus the biggest fit? Listen, it wasn't the outcast. It wasn't the down and out in the sinners. Who was it that hounded Jesus every step of his journey? It was a religious crowd. Do you know why? Because our propensity is to take our relationship with God and cram it into a bunch of rules and let our relationship be defined by these rules. I can do this and I cannot do this over here. And listen, not only do we do that as individuals, but as churches, we have that unspoken rule book of do's and don'ts. And when somebody in our congregation starts doing one of the don'ts, what do we do? We begin to look down upon that person why? Because without even knowing it, we embrace and continue to live by a very legalistic black and white, yes or no approach to life. One of the most amazing stories in the New Testament is one day Jesus and his disciples are out in a corn patch and they're passing through that corn patch and it's a Sabbath day. Do you remember it? And they were hungry and Jesus reached over and plucked an ear of corn. He said, here boys, eat this. Do you remember who suddenly jumped out of nowhere? The Pharisees. And I've often wondered, what in the world were those Pharisees doing in the corn patch on a Sunday? You know what they were doing there? We can't let you break the rule. You've got to live by this rule. We've got it all figured out. And if you will just let us tell you what it is God wants because we've got all these rules. We'll tell you how to trim your beard. We'll tell you how much weight you can lift on the Sabbath. We'll tell you how far you can travel. We'll tell you what food you can eat. We'll tell you this. We'll tell you that. We've got it all figured out. And when Jesus came, listen, you talking about coloring outside the line, stepping outside the box, or to use a term of the kids today, he was off the chain in every rule that the legalist had and listen it drove them crazy they couldn't handle it could they but we're not like that are we oh we're not we're not like that folks we're like that more than we realize I mean you, you step outside of the bounds of the Baptist rule book and see how far you get with that You start trying to live out this freedom that is yours in Christ. You know what you're going to find? The legalists today can't handle it. But if Jesus came to do anything, He came to set us free. Free from what? From a relationship with God that is defined By my ability to keep the rules. And I have a hunch. Don't know if I can really define it or explain it. But I have a hunch that our freedom is far wider and far deeper than any of us in this room realize. So. The apostle wants to talk about our freedom. But did you notice the context in which he discusses our freedom? Of all things, it is eating meat offered to idols. Now, be honest with me. How many of you this morning, on your way to church, leaned over and said, You know, honey, I've really been questioning this matter of eating the devil's meat. I hope when we get to church today, somebody talks about us eating meat offered to idols. Did anybody have that conversation on the way to church this morning? I didn't think so. Yet the truth of the matter is, there may be nothing that relates to us more where we are and given the shifts in our culture than this text before us today. So here's what I want to do. We're going to have to kind of dig down a little bit in order to get to it. So just give me a nod, all right? I'm not asking for much. Just give me a nod if you're with me up to this point, are you? Have I lost you? Have you already checked out on me? And by the way, if you have, don't worry about it. We're still friends. 
But even if you didn't check out on me, you're probably not going to get this anyway if you're thinking about checking out on me. Okay, so go ahead and snooze for a minute if that's what you want to do. But we've got to dig down a little bit. You know, like a geologist going down into the earth, he has to go through two or three, four layers to get there. Let's just dig down. So just kind of lay your Bible aside, look up, and let's just kind of dig down through three or four layers. First of all, the first layer. If we're going to understand about this eating meat offered to devils, then there are three or four things we've got to get through to get there. First of all, the city of Corinth itself. What do you know about that ancient city? Did you know in Paul's day that it was a city of about 700,000 people? It was the fourth leading city of its day, only behind Rome, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. It was a big-time player in that first-century world. And what made it such a big-time player is it was a seaport city. You know those maps at the back of your Bible and you wonder why they're there? They're there for this purpose right here, all right? If you wanted to look at the city of Corinth, you would see it's located right on the edge. In fact, not only was it a seaport city, but it had two major seaports. So ships were coming from far and wide, and they were always coming into the city of Corinth, and they were emptying not only their cargo, but they were emptying sailors. Sailors who had been out to sea for months or weeks or even possibly months at a time. Now, ready? just let your imagination wander for a moment. Here are these sailors who had been out to sea for weeks or months. And finally, when they docked in the, into the city of Corinth, what do you think was the first thing on their mind? You know, Joe, I can't wait to find a Bible study here in the city of Corinth. I mean, just let your imagination wonder. And for that reason, the city of Corinth became known for two things. They became known as a very immoral city. A very immoral city. In fact, one writer I was reading had the following to say, Pleasure seekers came from far and wide to take a holiday from morality. Did you know in Paul's day that there was a common phrase as a part of their everyday language and the phrase was to live as a Corinthian. See that person over there? They live as a Corinthian. They must be from the city of Corinth. And you know what the reference was? It was a reference to someone who lived in great immorality or lived a lifestyle of anything goes. But not only was it a city given to immorality, but it was an also, also a very idolatrous city. It was a city given to idolatry. Now think about it for just a moment. Ships coming from all over the known world, bringing people from every imaginable place. Suddenly they're porting there in the city of Corinth. And from the interior, merchants are coming so that they can purchase these goods. So you You've got people from all over that known world suddenly converging there in the city of Corinth. And you know what? Not only did it become a place of anything goes, but suddenly, suddenly it became a place of a melting pot of all known religions of that day and time. And you know what they did? They built temples to their false gods. They erected shrines and statues of wood and stone and everywhere you went. That's why the apostle says, I told you to put your Bible down, pick it back up just for a moment. In verse 5, the apostle Paul said, For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, little g, and many lords, little l. And you know what Paul is saying? Paul's saying you can't take a step in the city of Corinth without bumping into the one of their small gods. One of their little lords that they've erected a statue or a temple or a monument or something like that. And so here was a city of Corinth. It was a city of immorality, a city of adultery. But we need to dig just a little deeper. The church in Corinth. If you want to read about this, it is in Acts chapter 18. And there the apostle on his second missionary journey stepped into that very pagan, that very immoral city of Corinth. And that little stooped over, bald-headed man preached a very simple message. Here was a message. There was a man named Jesus. He lived a life of no sin. He died a death on the cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day they raised him up. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is the eternal Lord of lords and King of kings. And guess what? People started embracing that. And a church was formed. 
They came together and they began to worship as believers and so forth. And the Bible tells us that for 18 months, the Apostle Paul remained with them in the city of Corinth. And he taught them the basics and the fundamentals of the Christian life. But Paul moved on and that brings us to the third layer. We talked about the city. We talked about the church. Now let's talk a little bit specifically about this letter of 1 Corinthians. Another layer we need to dig through. The apostle moved on. And as that church came together and started doing life together as believers, issues began to arise. Things that the apostle had not talked to them about. Or maybe he had talked to them and they had forgotten. Our best guess is they wrote down these questions that they had. They sent a courier to find the apostle, put these questions in the apostle's hands. The apostle looks at these questions. He takes pen in hand and he begins to write his response to the questions. And guess what his response is? It is this book of 1 Corinthians that you're holding in your lap. It is a response to their questions. They, they had questions like, Paul, what do we do when immorality creeps into the church? Chapter 5. Paul, when we have a legal issue with a Christian brother or sister, what do we do? Do we take a Christian to a pagan court? Chapter 6. What about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Chapter 7. Hey, Paul, we don't understand how to do the Lord's table. Chapter 11. Paul, what about spiritual gifts? I mean, we're coming together and listen, brother, we're bouncing off the walls over here. We don't have a clue what to do with spiritual gifts. What do we do? Chapters 12, 13, and 14. Paul, I I'm not sure we understand what we need to believe about resurrection. Oh, you don't? Chapter 15. And then to me, the oddest of all questions. Paul, what do we do? When we're served meat offered to an idol. Ah. Chapters 8, 9, and 10. That's why the apostle begins chapter 8. You remember I read a moment ago? It said, hold on to it. Look back at verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to answer your question. You're asking, what do you do? When it is food offered to an idol, and now we're going to answer your question. So, we've dug through three layers. Give me a nod. Are you still with me or not? Okay. We've dug through the city of Corinth. We've dug through the church. We've dug a little bit down through this letter itself, the big picture. Now, we're ready to kind of build on the foundation of understanding about food offered to idols. Because, listen, all of these religions converged. I mentioned a moment ago. They built their temples. When they would come in to worship, they'd get off the boat. And you know what? Maybe they went through a terrible storm and their belief was that maybe the weather god or the moon god or the rain god was angry with them. And so when we get there, brother, we're going to find our temple and we're going to offer a, a, a something to appease our God, to keep our God from being angry to us. And did you know that at, at the heart of even pagan worship was a belief that we need to bring an animal sacrifice to appease our God? So you can see it now. Here's the scene. A ship docks and sailors get off and a sailor's dragging this young calf with him and he brings it down and all four uh, feet are digging into the ground as he's dragging that calf and he finally gets it into the pagan worship and there's that pagan priest and he brings that calf because he wants to appease his God and so forth. And so the pagan priest does his thing and he takes that sacrifice. But he didn't have to offer all of that animal as a sacrifice. In fact, he just had to offer a minimal amount. And so it probably was the hair or the hide or maybe the head of that animal that would ultimately be offered to the God. The meat of that animal, part of it would be kept by the priest as compensation for his labor and the temple workers who were also serving in those pagan temples. But you know what he'd do with the rest of that? 
You'd give it back to the would-be worshiper. It belonged to the person who came to worship. And it was given back to him with this kind of maybe, maybe this qualitative statement. You can do with this whatever you want to. You can take it with you. And Sunday morning when you tailgate with your buddies, go ahead and enjoy this meat. Or, or you may want to do a backyard barbecue and offer, invite all of your friends to come in and spend a Saturday afternoon with you. Whatever you do with it is fine. More than likely, they made their beeline out of the door across the street to the nearest market and they sold that meat to the nearest merchant so that they could have coins in their hand. All right? Now, it's market day for you. You go down and you see this wonderful, fresh piece of beef hanging. Boy, that'll be good Sunday after church. I think I'm going to get it. So you purchase this roast. You go home. You're ready to prepare it for Sunday lunch. You and husband or wife are sitting in the back of the church on Sunday morning. And you lean over and you say, honey, you see that new couple over there? The Tabers, right? Isn't that their name? Yeah, yeah, that's who they are. You, you know, they're brand new to our church. Why don't we ask them to come over and have lunch with us today? Great idea. So you corner the Tabers after church. They agree to come over, have lunch with you. You're, they're sitting there at the table. You come in with this wonderful, delicious-looking roast. You put it down on the table. You expect it to be met with great applause, but you look on the face of the Tabers, and they're a little bit concerned. They push back a little bit. Something wrong? Got a question I need to ask. Where'd this meat come from? What? If this meat was offered to an idol, I can't eat it. You can't? I can't eat it. You see, I just came out of paganism. That was a part of my everyday worship. And I can't eat this roast if it came out of Paganism. And, and by the way, that does make sense to me. I mean, who, who wants to go to Outback this afternoon and when they bring you that delicious T-bone, you pull your server aside and say, can I ask you a question? Is this devil meat or not? I mean, if it's devil meat, I can't eat it, right? I mean, nobody wants to eat meat offered to the devil, do they? I mean, God forbid. Be tough going in and I mean, it'd be tough to digest if you ate meat offered to the devil, right? So we certainly can't do anything like that. I know what you're thinking. You think, wait a minute. We don't ask questions like that. That has nothing to do with us today, does it? I mean, we're not worried about things like that. This is about as out-of-touch passage as I've ever read in the Bible. In fact, I think one time I read the Bible through. And I remember getting to chapter 8, 9, chapters 8, 9, and 10. And I remember just blowing right through it because I thought, my God, meat offered to devils? What does that have to do with us in the 21st century? But ladies and gentlemen, it has everything to do with us. Because you see, Paul is talking about our freedom. He's talking about who we are in Jesus. He's talking about how we live this Jesus life in us, out in a culture that is against us. He's talking about how we navigate through these issues that are not right, and they're not wrong, but nevertheless they are there, and they are issues of conscience. Issues of conscience? Like what? Is it okay for Christians to participate in Halloween? I mean, that's the devil's night, isn't it? And when you dress your little children up in their little costumes and they go out trick-or-treating for candy, aren't you honoring the devil? So should Christians participate in Halloween? Should Christians participate in Christmas? Santa Claus, elves, reindeer... A man slips into your house in the middle of the night. How traumatic can that be for a little child? Leaves gifts, comes and goes. Do we participate in that? I mean, what in the world is going on? Should Christians dance? What do you think? What about square dancing? What about ballroom dancing? What about a husband dancing with his wife? Should Christians dance? Should Christians smoke? Ah, now we're getting a little closer to home, aren't we? Boy, I'm telling you, we've been real hard on smokers down through the years, haven't we? If you're a smoker this morning, I just want you to exhale if you can, all right? I just want you to exhale for a moment. 
All right. Just relax. All right. Just relax. I'm on your side. Let me tell you why I'm on my side. Because, or why I'm on your side. Because you know what? The truth of the matter is. You cannot go to any chapter and verse in the Bible. And find where God says. Thou shalt not smoke. Do you know that? Now I know where you're going with this. Lord have mercy. I know the company line better than all of you combined. You know what the company line is? Well, it's destructive to the human body, and that's why we don't do it. And I agree with you. I mean, I don't smoke because I don't like it, number one. Number two, I don't have enough money to smoke. I don't know how people afford to smoke. But, but let me tell you what, folks. It's not smoking that's killing the body of Christ today. You know what's killing the body of Christ today? What do Baptists do every time we get together? It's overeating. We all sucked in and tried to get an inch or two off of our waistline immediately, didn't we? Do you know the book of Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 2 says, If you have a voracious appetite, you're better off to put a knife to your throat. Bible has far more to say about overeating than it does smoking. Just a thought. It got real quiet in here. Did you all notice that? It got real quiet in here, didn't it? What about this one? Is it okay for Christians to drink? Went too far, didn't I? Because you already have your answer, don't you? You know what the company line is, don't you? But I mean, you know, one of the good things about my role today is... I don't have to go to deacons meetings or elders meetings. I can step into a church and just say what I want to. And I can leave. And I'm really not all that interested in what you think. You know, Brother Mike and Dan, these guys, they have to walk that fine line. But I don't have to walk that fine line. It's a good place to be. It really is. I work at St. Vincent's Hospital. And when you're not dependent upon a church for your income, by George, you can say just about what you want to say when you get up there to preach. Amen? Should Christians drink? What do you think? Now, straight up, the Bible does not prohibit drinking alcohol. Did you know that? Did you know that? It does not. What does the Bible prohibit? Drunkenness that leads to debauchery, and it does. But the Bible does not forbid the drinking of alcohol. Now, as a pastor, I wish it did. Right? I mean, I wish it did. I wish I could turn to chapter and verse. Thou shalt not drink Bud Lights. There it is, right here in your Bible. And I mean, it'd be case closed. We could pass the offering plate and go home today, right? But it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say that. But now I know what religion, I know what legalism has to say. Well, it gives the appearance of evil and so we stay away from it because of the appearance of me, from evil. And God forbid if you step outside of that and you begin to color outside the line in that area right there. Let me tell you what, we may not kick you out, but we are going to kind of push you to the side of the Baptist church if we know that you consume alcohol. Don't you see how many of these areas don't fit in a neat and tidy little yes or no, black or white? And listen, the reason I talked about our culture is the more our culture shifts and moves away, the more we're going to be faced with these in-between issues. So how do we get there? I've said all of that to in the next five minutes, don't hold me to this, but the next five minutes to preach a sermon to you that I want to preach, all right? Because I believe, and where I've come to under, uh, grow and understand is, when we deal with these in-between areas, we're going to get the answer we want when we're willing to ask three questions. You want to write these down? I'll give you a moment if you want to jot these down. Because I really do think the takeaway from this message today is an understanding and a willingness to honestly ask these three questions. Questions. And by the way, all three need to be asked together. Number one, am I asking the right question? Am I asking the right question? Because I know, as a pastor, people have come up to me through the years, I know that we're not asking the right question if the question begins like this. Preacher, is it okay if... Then you fill in the blank. 
I was probably in the third grade when I learned the importance of asking the right question. I remember one day I raised my hand in class and the teacher looked over at me and said, what? I said, can I go to the bathroom? Teacher looked at me and said, yeah, you can. I'm thinking, sweet. I get up to leave. Now, all of you teachers know what's coming, right? You know what the teacher said next? Yes, you can. And kind of with a little bit of a sassy tone, she said, yes, you can, but you may not. I'm, what, eight or nine years old? And Do you know how that just blew my brain? I mean, I'm not sure I ever really recovered. Yes, you can, but you may not. Yes, you can, but... Make up your mind. Did you not take your meds today? What is going on with you? Yes, you can, but you may not. But you know, as I've reflected on that, I realized she was exactly right. Because we, when we ask the can I question, the word can deals with the possibility. Now stop just a moment and don't get this in your mind, all right? But there I am, eight or nine years old. Yes, you can go to the bathroom. Implication, you can go to the bathroom right there where you are if you want to, right? Wouldn't be the best thing, but you can go to the bathroom. Yes, you can. Can you? Yes, I can. The word may recognizes the possibility of it. But it speaks into the permissibility of it. Is it permittable? You see, as a Christian, I have the freedom to do things. Right? So it's not a question of can I. It is a question of should I or may I. Look at chapter 10. All right, come on. You're, you're not listening very fast this morning. and We're not going to get through. Chapter 10, verse 23. The apostle says, all things are lawful. By the way, time out. All things are not lawful. Do you know that? I cannot murder. I cannot lie. I cannot steal. I cannot take your wife. All things are not lawful. So what is he talking about? He's talking about these in-between areas. When it comes to these in-between areas in which the Bible does not affirm, nor does the Bible condemn, all things are lawful. But notice what he says in verse 23. But, all they are, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And you know what he's saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is not. Anything goes for the Christian. But when it comes to those in-between areas, I am free to do this. Yes, you are. But my freedom is not to be leveraged at the expense of not being helpful to you. So that leads me to the second question. How does this affect others? How does this affect others? Look, look at verse 23 again. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, I know that we believe in rugged individualism, but listen, the truth is, the truth is, when you gave your life to Jesus, you became responsible for other believers, and you became responsible to other believers. Do you agree with that? You are not free to do something that's going to cause a weaker brother to stumble, to trip up, or to be destroyed. I was 26 years old when Kathy and I married. As a young man in my early 20s, I remember having a single mindset. That is, my money is mine, my time is mine. But when Kathy and I married in December of 1978, I had to punt that single mindset. Because I can tell you the truth. You're not going to stay married, and you certainly are not going to stay happily married if you try to live married life with a single mindset, right? And then God gave us three daughters, and I began to realize the decisions I was making really impacted my daughters and so forth. And so I began to understand that the decisions, my actions, have an impact on other people, right? So do yours. You don't believe it? Let me quickly illustrate. Sunday, what if this evening you said, honey, let's slip into town and grab a bite to eat. So you slipped into town, the restaurant, look over the corner. 
And their setting are Pastor Mike and Pastor Dan. And each of them is nursing a Bud Light. What would you think? Would it have an influence on you? I see this and I see that. I see this from gray hairs and I see this from the young kids. Am I right? Now, question. Are Dan and Mike free to do that? Answer, yes. Question. Is it going to impact others? The answer is yes. Am I asking the right question? How is it going to affect others? Finally, does this thing bring glory to God? Look at chapter 10. I want to read a verse. I'm done. Chapter 10 and verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the ultimate question, isn't it? Do all to the glory of God. The word glory there has several meanings, but the primary meaning is to honor. So as a believer, I am free. But I'm not free to leverage my freedom at your expense and at the expense of bringing honor and glory to my Savior. My freedom has limitations. So does yours. If you come up afterwards and say to me, you know, Pastor Jackie, is it okay if... I'm going to ask you this. Are you asking the right question? What impact is it going to have on others? And if you do it, will it ultimately bring glory to God? If it's going to impact others in a negative way, and if it's not going to bring glory to God, then listen. That is your conscience before God. And you're not free to move in that area. That's what I came to say to you this morning. How are you doing with it? You okay? You okay with it? Because that's where Paul takes it. Paul doesn't say yes or no. He asks, how will it hurt others, help others? Will it bring glory to God? That's what I'd say to you this morning. So here's the invitation. God may be dealing with you about something that you're involved in. that may be destructive and it may not bring glory to him. That's the case. That's what you need to put on the altar this morning. You need to give it up to God. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for these few moments, uh, more longer than I meant to be, but I think very, very important stuff. Give us wisdom to process this, ears to hear it, and a willing spirit to obey it. May the next few moments bring honor and glory to you. As I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You stand, if you will. Ashley's going to lead us. Pastor Dan's going to be down front. If God's spoken to your heart and you need him, come right now. We're not going to delay. Just come right now if you need to get to this altar, whatever it is. You come and let God deal with your heart. Let's sing. Oh, to